Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. Tonight we want to talk about children. Uh, God commanded Adam and he commanded Noah to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In many places in scriptures it talks about children being a blessing. It talks about women that are, that are mourning over the fact that they're, they're barren and that they don't have any, whether it's Sarah or Hannah. And so... But yet, I've also, I remember when I had small children, I'd go into a restaurant and I'd have people come up to me, even though we only had three children, and say, boy, how could you do that? I could never have three children. It would be so hard. So how does what God says is a blessing, how come so many people consider children to be a curse? I mean, what what blessing that God has given, have, can't we turn into a curse? You know, you look at, uh, from the very beginning, you have a whole garden to get to to, uh, to use, and then they're picking the, the the one tree they're told not to get from. They're turning this blessing of the garden into a curse, and you have uh, you know marriage. There's many marriages where marriage is supposed to be a blessing, and you know obviously we all know that, that many marriages are not a blessing to people, and uh, they have much misery from them, and it's it's because of sin, broad, broadly broadly speaking. <laughs> Right, and we should just recognize, and it's really easy for us to, to think of God as somehow putting us in a situation where he's not giving us good things. But he does, and it's not that there isn't, that he pours out his wrath and that he judges and he gives sickness and he gives war and he gives famine and he gives you know, other kinds of judgment. But kind of his default is to give blessings and not to give cursings. It's man that turns them from blessings to cursings. I mean, but I do think there is a sense in which Children are different from some of those other things in the sense that if God gives you God gives you food and you don't do anything, food is still food. You know, and if God there are certain things but children, if God gives you children and you don't do what he's called you to do, you have to be proactive or the children will become a curse. Or, or perhaps more uh, specifically, because, I mean, a pile of food is going to turn into a big problem no. if you right. don't do anything with it. But I think with our current, uh, at, at least in our current culture, people don't know what to do with their children. That may have been different other times, or may be that just in, children are more intrinsically difficult to deal with and more involved so that, you know, God's ways are not as immediately apparent. But but the, but the problem is that people don't know the purpose of the children and how God, the, the way that God has ordered the world, that they need to be treating their children to make them a blessing. So, so, yeah, put it this way, that with many of these other good things that God gives us, we're able to see the goodness in them, even though we can still abuse them. So, we, I mean, God gives food as a blessing, and it's easy to see, okay, I understand it tastes good. It sustains me. It keeps me going. Yeah, I can abuse it. I can eat too much of it. I can be gluttonous. Um, but I can still see where the goodness in the food is. God gives me money. Yes, I can see the goodness in that. Yeah, I could abuse it and become greedy or spend it all on my, myself. Sure. But I understand the goodness of that and the freedom that comes with having money. But we live in a particular age where it does not seem like our culture can look at children and see the goodness there that God talks about. They, they look at children, and instead of seeing, here's blessings with that, always see those cursings. Though there is something that God puts in the heart of most people that they do intrinsically know that they're a blessing. You know, there are those people out there that say, well, I have cats, and I'm absolutely never going to have children. And even some of those people eventually say, well, actually, I want to have children, because that's the way that God made people. And you have people that don't know how to raise their children and have what from the outside looks like a absolutely miserable experience with children and yet they still say you know having children even though in many ways they've been a curse to me you know i would lay down my life for them etc cetera, etc cetera. best so they, thing i ever did yeah and yeah. so so even though they may not even know why they're a blessing they still they still are a blessing well, and the bible even says that a woman who's gone through childbirth right that she's miserable until she sees the baby and then she forgets about the childbirth because of the joy of receiving the baby so even that that first moment there's an intrinsic joy that that god says that you know that testifies that people know that they're a blessing ogden nash I think wrote a poem and it goes like this the problem with the kitten is that one day it will become a cat and, and there's this and, and so one of the, the most common thing I heard from people as I had my kids was enjoy them while they're young. And not just there's a special delight when they're young. Enjoy them before they grow up and become horrible. <laughs> and, I mean, and I mean that was specifically what would be told to me over and over. And so there is this part of it where, I mean, 
when you say, why is it that people see children become a curse? It's because very often children become a curse. And there's this part of it where it's like, hurry up and enjoy them while they're young and sweet. I mean, if you're God, God says, basically, I'm going to give you some little sinners. And those little sinners are going to grow up to be bigger sinners unless you actively deal with their sin in the way I've told you to. And that is, I mean, and, and there's just, there's no way around it. That is what a child is. And a child can be a tremendous blessing. But if you do nothing to constrain your child's sin, your child will become a curse. And this is something that the Bible talks about. Proverbs fifteen twenty: a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. So it's talking there about parents who are looking at their children and saying they are a curse. And the answer is it's because they're foolish and they are not wise. And, you know, Proverbs has a lot to say about how you can get a wise son. Not 100% foolproof, but here are the paths by, down which you must walk, the things you must do that are, uh, you know, very likely going to give you a wise son. And, yeah, the Bible also in Proverbs, and again, it's a proverb, so it's not an ironclad guarantee, but the, the normative pattern is if you train up a child in the way he will go, when he is old, he will not wander far from it. So you're even, there's promises in Scripture that, again, not, not a covenantal promise where he's saying this is what's going to happen, but the normative thing is if you train up a child in the way he will go, he won't wander far from it. And so many people that are going, my child will grow up to be a curse and, you know, enjoy them now because later they're just going to be a terror. Well, that's the way they train them. They train them to be a terror. Right. I mean, there's another passage in Proverbs that talks about foolishness being bound up in the heart of a child. And yet you've got this passage that, that we just looked at where it talks about a wise son makes his father glad. And Charles saying, well, you know, you've got these, you bring these sinners into the world, and they're little sinners. If you don't do anything, they'll become big sinners. And the Bible calls children a blessing. So I'm throwing all of these things at you. Right. I'm trying to make a soup out of this in order to, to, I mean, so here's the conclusion, is God says children are a blessing, but they're also this work in progress. And part of the blessing is that work. I mean, and you can't get away from it. Children are not this, they're not this thing that by themselves is just like, oh, yes, this thing is is a blessing if I don't. I mean, it is for a moment when it's just born. And I mean, <laughs> you know, and your wife and you are in tears holding this new baby. And I mean, that's great. But then it becomes a five-year-old. And if you haven't done anything. It becomes anything, one day or year old first. <laughs> sure. But if you haven't done anything in there, then, I mean, that that child is going to become a terror. But it's hard work to keep that five-year-old from not being a terror, much less that 15-year-old from not being a terror. And yet, when God says it's a blessing, and it's a blessing, I mean, here, you know, giving you this thing, but it's some assembly required, that's part of the blessing. And the work is a blessing, right? And I mean, the work exactly really is saying. a blessing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and and this, is, this just goes back to that God says work is good, and God says he made you to do work, and part of your work is to raise up that child. I mean, I've, I've said before that... A, a, if someone gave you a gold mine, a totally undeveloped gold mine, and you did nothing with it, you did no labor to get the gold out of it, all it would be would be a tax liability to you. It would be, you know, I mean, it would, it would, and and children are similar to that. Which didn't even goes further than that. I mean, you can you can have a gold mine and you can dig a hundred feet below the surface and get no return because you needed to go one hundred and ten feet, and so right. you can even spend a lot of labor on your children and not get return because you didn't persevere long enough. But we should understand what the return is because it's not just work. Because, you know, it talks about in, in uh, 1 Peter 3, excuse me, 1 Peter 2, where if you get beaten for your, not for your own faults, but you get beaten because of the unrighteousness of your master, that it's a blessing because you took on the picture of Christ. And when we're faithful to raise our children, we're taking on the picture of God the Father. And right, Hebrews 12 says this. I mean, he ties it directly together between the two and says that, you know, God is the perfect father. Your father ch chastened you as seemed fit to him, but God the perfect father does it perfectly. But we should think when we're chasing our children and training our children properly, when we're scourging our children is what the word is there in Hebrews, we are taking on the picture of God. And that's a blessing because we are image bearers of God, and that's part of bearing the image of God is to be the father.
And I think that's uh, something that's talked about in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 15, where Paul says, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And so there he's talking about how uh, he is like a parent to, to, this, uh, to the Corinthians. And he uses the phrase spend and be spent. And so it's the idea of, which I think is a pretty powerful, powerful phrase, where you're spending the things that you have. And even your own personal life is being spent for the benefit of someone else. And so I think that's kind of, you know, that, that, that phrase should describe the life of all Christians, but particularly parents. And this is something that even people in the world understand, is that when you're having children, you are sacrificing. It's pretty, pretty inherent to having children, if, unless you're completely delinquent, that you are sacrificing for your children. And, that, and even, the, even if your children are reprobate, even if they provide you no, when they're adults, they do nothing for you, or if, or if they die, or whatever it might be, even the process of sacrificing for your children, like you're talking about, is obedience to God, glorifying God, is a picture of God. Even that itself is an intrinsic good and an intrinsic blessing. And when you think about that picture, right, I mean, it's the church is very confused that we think now the broad church thinks that we can add something to God rather than all we do is take from God. You know, if we did everything that we were supposed to do, we'd have nothing that he owed us at all because we can't give him anything. All we can give him is perfect obedience, and that's just what's due him. And so when we think of this with our children, yeah, you make the sacrifices, you do these things, and maybe they do grow up reprobate. Maybe they do grow up in rebellion. In the end, the blessing is that's what God does for the majority of people in the world, there are many who find the path to destruction and few who find the path to life. And everyone who found the path to destruction, they sense God was their father. He provided for them. He, he, their whole life, they lived by common grace from God. He gave to them their whole life, and in the end, they rebelled against him. And one of the blessings of being a parent is you get put in situations where your selfishness has to die. I mean, that's one of the blessings of having children. I, I mean, I remember when my wife and I, that from the time when we were married until the time that our first child was born, you know what? It, it was a whole lot of bliss. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to be very married to a very lovely woman. And so, you know, people talk about, ah, that first year of marriage is so hard. It wasn't for us. I mean, it was a whole lot of rainbows and butterflies. But then God gave us that first child, and after about one day of that first child, you realize that God gives you something that is just pure sucking need. And I mean, it's cute and it's fun and you love holding it, but it needs and it needs and it needs and it does not care about you. And so, you know, what Paul is saying here about spend and be spent, I, the, the way I like to think about it is all those promises I made to my wife in my wedding vows about to have and to hold and for better or for worse, I didn't have to start paying on those until I had a child. And now all of a sudden, I have to pay. I've got to spend. I've got to be spent. And then those child's children get older, and you have to spend and be spent even more. And yet, I need that because as a human being, I am so full of selfishness that I need this thing to draw me out of myself to make me pay, to make me sacrifice. And that's a blessing that's good for me. And I think that on that point, that's where a lot of people can see children as being a curse because they don't want to give that up. They don't want sanctification at the point of their own pride and their own selfishness. So a lot of the, a lot of the reason that people are saying they're a curse actually is part of the blessing. You're just misidentifying it as a curse. Right. I mean, the... When I do marriage counseling, one of the things that I say is in, you know, common grace, you know, obviously the most sanctifying thing is to be saved, to have your heart of stone replaced with the heart of flesh. But in common grace, the second most sanctifying effect or sanctifying thing that happens is getting married because all of a sudden you have to deal with somebody where you have to treat them, you know, you have to be a blessing to them. You come up, you wake up together, you have to keep interacting with them. It's a relationship that you can't just cut off. But the first most sanctifying one is having a child because there's real benefits to getting married that are two-way benefits. And then you have a child and you find out that's all one way right. for a very long time. 
there's enough time in the day for two people to be married and be pretty selfish. But you know what I mean? I mean, yep. you still have, there's still plenty of room for, we, I can do my and thing in the morning. And she's feeding your needs you, so you can even be selfish right, with her. Right, in, in a mutually and, yeah. beneficial way, right. And, and yeah, and then like Jonathan said, all of a sudden. <laughs> there's plenty of room to be selfish with children, but it's less. Right, right. Oh, no, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. there is plenty of room to be selfish with children, but it does change the equation. And, and that's how you get your children to be a curse, is if you're selfish with the child. Because usually what happens, you look at the places where, the single moms are terrorized by their children, especially sons. A lot of it starts with they think it's cute what he does, and they don't want to discipline him, and they don't want to deal with it. And so they, it just grows from there. And children start out with a lot of leaven, and that leaven will grow unless you're, you're knocking it down. But there is this part of it where, I mean, what childhood, what, what childhood is supposed to be and what we and what we even try to avoid with sending them off to school, sending them off to you know, sending them away so that we don't have to deal with these things is that you have to deal with yourself. I mean because there's a part of it where everything I've learned about, everything I see with my children, every single thing, you can turn around and look and go, this is the picture of God with it with us. Mm-hmm. I, I mean every lecture I give my children Halfway into you can it. flip to the book or the, or the Bible and find the, <laughs> right. the same I, argument being made. Halfway into it, you you just hear God going, "Do you hear it? Are you listening? How many times do I have to tell you over and over? Why won't you listen to my voice?" You know, what I mean, just you know, what I mean, it just halfway it, it, into your lecture, you realize that you're just a hand puppet for God talking yes, to you, right? <laughs> and so it's 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 incredibly it's incredibly useful. It, like Jonathan said, it's incredibly humbling and. If the reason why it isn't is if you you just you avoid it you ha- you run from it and you don't want to actually deal with the details. And one of the basic ways that you know we destroy ourselves is right. You're either killing sin or sin is killing you. Either you're trying to put to death the works of the flesh or the works of the flesh will be killing you. That's just the way God designed us, and we see that in our children. Either you're dealing with their works of the flesh, or they will get more and more annoying, <laughs> right? They'll get more and more of a problem. Right. And so he puts that contrast right in front so that we're reminded that that's what we're like, that either we're putting to death our sin or our sin will get worse. It's not going to stay the same. We're either putting it to death or it's going to get worse. One of the most interesting conversations that I've had multiple times with different people and useful conversations is to ask them the question, what's the difference between personality and sin in your life? Where's the, where's the line? Where do you draw the line between what you call your personality and what you call things that are, that you, you know, because there's this part of it where sin's this thing that grows up with you and it grows up so tightly with you that you can't separate it. And there's a point where you can look back at something that started 20, 30, 40 years ago, and now it's so tightly ingrained with who you are that can you really separate it from 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 the you but there was a point where it could be dealt with much more easily where it was just and not like it could be completely eliminated but where it could have been constrained where it could have been you know controlled and and there's this i mean i talk to my children about spankings and i tell them you know i said there's a point where you'll stop getting spankings from me and you'll start getting spankings from god and i was like i would trade there's so many heartaches in my life that I would trade for more spankings when I was younger in a second. You ask somebody who's been divorced, would they rather have been disciplined more in a child for their, as a child for their selfishness, for their lust, for, their, for whatever it is that destroyed their marriage? And, and, and you just, you look, I mean, but you have to look at yourselves and ask these questions. And this is what, if you actually deal with your child and you deal with yourself, what it forces you to think about and to understand. When we talk about, you know, there's that picture that God gave it as a blessing that we can make it a curse, right? You were talking about food. But, you know, the Bible also talks about what's in the furrow of the poor. And it puts it right in a context with using the rod. In Proverbs 13, 23 through 25, it says, Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice there is waste. Right, so the reason that the poor are poor is because not because the ground isn't productive. God made the ground to be productive, but they didn't produce from it, so they're poor. And then the next one is, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And I do think that they're very tied together. The son is inherently a blessing, 
But if you don't discipline him, if you spare the rod and you hate your son, you shouldn't expect it to be anything more than the, the poor man who won't bother to plant, you know, plant in his field. So, of course, he doesn't get any crop. And then it goes on and says, the righteous eats to the, to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. And so in all these cases, in these proverbs, it's all, here's something that can be good, but you can not do the right thing, and it will be bad. And sparing the rod is a great way to cause your children to end up being sinners that really cause you lots of problems because you haven't driven the sin out of their heart. You haven't driven the foolishness out of their heart. If we want our children to be a blessing, we should do more than just desire to drive the foolishness out of their heart, right? I mean, for them to be a blessing, what we want to do is actually be positive towards them by teaching them to be wise. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people that their children become a curse, not even because they don't like try to discipline them or constrain their sin, but that they idolize childhood. So they keep their children as children rather than trying to get them to be mature. Right. And then they're surprised that at 18, they're acting like children or, you know, in our culture at 26, they're still living in their parents' basement like children. If we want our children to be a blessing, we don't just want to deal with their foolishness. We should also work to make them wise. One of the things that I remember you saying at a conference last year was, you know, you're not raising children. You already have children. You're raising adults. And that's just really helpful to think about, okay, there's an end point to what I'm doing here. And it's not to just have a child remain a child. It's I've got this child who's got sin and foolishness and immaturity, and all of those things need to be addressed and shaped and turn into, they need to become an adult. And with with whatever tools God's given us, one of them is the rod, but then you've got all of the other methods of discipline. I mean, you know, the word discipline, it's the same root as the word disciple, so it's not just all punishment. Really, it's not punishment. Right. It's intended to shape a person to become something different than what they are. And with a child, it's, you know, over time, give it 15 years, 18 years, whatever time frame you're on, you want that child to become an adult who acts like an adult, who thinks like an adult, who's no longer like a child. And even when you go back to the rod, it's the rod of correction. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like you said, it's not the rod of anger. It's not the rod of punishment. It's it's the rod of, I mean, and, and, you know, when I talk to my children about it, I'll tell you, you know, when you look at correction, I said one of the things that we don't think about is like when you talk about a boat or talk about something else, you talk about course correction. And like there's this part of it where you're traveling in a direction. You don't want to continue traveling in that direction. So you turn the boat. And I'm like, can you imagine a boat that wouldn't respond to correction? You're trying to turn it out of running into the rocks and the boat won't turn. I was like, I mean, this is just, you know, and there's just this part of it where it's so easy to get, I mean, it it can be so easy to get into the habit of dealing with things without actually teaching, without spending the time to teach, without walking them through things. And it can also, on the other side, I just, I think just, I'm just going to say this out of practicality. There are times where the answer is is you don't have to give them a speech. You don't always have to take them out for an ice cream cone every single time you're going to give them a spanking. <laughs> or Some- they might just get a spanking to get the ice cream cone. <laughs> right. Sometimes the spanking is, I don't even I mean, when they know what they did, you know they know what they did. Sometimes it's a really quick spanking. There is no there is no ceremony. There is no, you know, and, and it's, it's no preamble, and it's right back to what you're doing. But there's always been words, and it's yes. sometimes it's those words are so clear and so obvious, you know better. They've and been other said a times, times, it's like you know what we're going to have to sit here. Do you know what you did? Right. We're going to talk about it because you should have known what you did. Right. And it forces the parent to be wise too, right? Because sometimes the child, you know, I'm sure it happened more in your houses where you have more children, but maybe a child feels like he's been neglected and he's getting in trouble to get attention. In which case, you don't want to give them a whole lot of attention. You want to, and so part of it is to teach wisdom, you have to be wise. And if all you do is go, well, this is the thing to do to have the lecture over, yeah, this is the gospel, you need Jesus Christ. This proves you it. teach him how to get attention if in that case. Exactly, right? I mean, and you are teaching him how to be wise, but not wise the way you want him to be wise. He's wise in manip- manipulating you, and you are going to teach him how to be wise. Right. 
and you know, this is something that I tell mothers a lot is your young child, they spend most of their life staring at you and trying to figure out how to manipulate you. You're teaching them to be wise. The question is, are you going to correct it and have them be wise in a, in a righteous sense, or are you going to let them manipulate you? Because there's a lot of mothers that have run their children all day, and their children learn how to manipulate them because they are working to be wise. The question is, do you direct that towards useful wisdom, or is it just wisdom how to manipulate the their right. parents? And if, it's, if the parent's not actively working against them, they will get wise. Right. Right. <laughs> And they will, and then they'll become a curse instead of a blessing. Right. I think the definition of wise really came home when you said they'll get. Well, I mean, yeah, they'll they'll get wise. That's a yeah. Because wisdom is really how to apply knowledge to a given situation. Right. And you can use wisdom. You know, there's demonic wisdom, and there's righteous wisdom, and they, their hearts being filled with sin, being filled with rebellion towards God, towards their parents, towards everybody else. They will get wise. Right. The question is, is it a wisdom from above or right. is it a wisdom from an earthly wisdom? And so when we think about wisdom, right, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. And when I became an adult, I put away childish things. And one of the things that if you want to teach your children to be wise is you need to put away childish things. Because if what you're doing is teaching them to pursue after childish things, then how are you going to teach them to be wise? You're going to teach them to remain fools. And so the first step of teaching wisdom to your children is to become wise yourself because it's really easy for us to not be wise and to continue in our foolish ways. I would say alongside that, and it's so basic that, that you almost forget it, but you have to spend time with them. Yep. You abs- I mean, if you're going to be te- – whatever you're doing, you're going to be teaching them. But if you're going to be teaching them wisdom – you've got to be in the same geographic location that they are in order to teach them wisdom. And you've got to find time to do that. And and that's hard. I mean, and a basic thing that you should be doing uh, when you're spending time with them, which, you know, a lot of people probably know this, but there's a lot of Christians, professing Christians who don't know this, is you need to be reading the Bible to them. You need to be at a minimum, reading God's word to them. I mean, how are, how are they going to get wisdom if you're not giving them God's word every day? And, and another part of wisdom is to take God's word and apply it to the world. And if you look at Deuteronomy 6, right, which is Moses speaking right when he knows he's about to die, and he's basically saying, so I've been the teacher for these last 40 years of Israel, so who's going to be the teachers now? And then he very specifically answers his own question, basically. He doesn't say the question, but it's implied, which is, I'm not giving it to the Levites. I'm giving it to the fathers. The fathers are the ones that need to teach these things to the next generation. And so one thing that and we think about teaching wisdom is we need to make sure that we're looking through the world in the right lens. Because it's not just let's sit and read the Bible, which is a good thing, and I'm not, <laughs> not saying anything against that, but it's not just let's sit down and read the Bible. It's while you walk, by the way, while you sit, while you stand, while you lie down, everything that happens in the world you're supposed to be teaching your child how this looks like from God's perspective, what God said about it, how God thinks about it, because that's true wisdom. Wisdom, you know, godly wisdom is from above. And so you need to take the scripture if you want them to be wise and not just make it this thing that you do in devotions in the morning and that you, you hear a sermon on Sunday, but actually take it and say, this is how we walk through our life. And this is why this works this way, and this is why that works this way. And you need to be in their proximity, right? But you also then need to, in that proximity, say, this is how we apply what God has taught us to the world around us so that we understand. So just for example, if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast, you probably listen to other Christian podcasts, or you listen to podcasts on current events, or you read the news, and you— Or you just want to listen to ours so that you can write I mean, I comments. hope <laughs> that, that you just don't listen to ours. But if, you, you know, if you're getting anything out there in— in the media that you consume, that you think, wow, that was really helpful. That really helped me think about this thing in a biblical way that shaped my mind. Talk about that with your kids. And you'll talk about things differently with a five-year-old than you will with a 15-year-old. But anything that you're learning, you've got to figure out, how can I repackage this for my wife and my children? And some of that is like reading books to them and uh, not just not just reading it and moving on, but kind of discussing it. Like even... Uh, 
even earlier this evening and we were reading about Daniel Boone to the kids and it was like, well, should he have done this? Is this good? Should he have been in the Indians land? Whose land was it? And you can, you can, if you're intentional, you can start discussing the things you're reading through the, 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 uh, the, the worldview from scripture and teaching wisdom through that. And, you know, another thing is don't set too low of expectations, right? Your oldest son is four and, you know, you can have those discussions with a four-year-old. And we have, what we have done is transferred it so we say you can't get wisdom until you're 18 or 19 or 20. There's the adolescent years and they're fools. And then afterwards they grow up and they start to think that they have to live a life so they have to figure out how to do it so they start to mature. That's not historically the position of the human race. That's not what the view was. They were supposed to be productive much earlier than that. And we've set expectations so low that it's really damaging people. And the reality is you can have those conversations. It is a lot different for a four-year-old than a 15-year-old. But you can start having those conversations earlier and get them to think. And then by the time they're 15, they'll be a lot wiser, you know, a lot wiser than their peers, that's for sure. So, I mean, just as an example, and I I say this, you know, to to try and honor my son here, but we, I got a, a I got a package in the mail, and one of the things in the package in the mail was a silver certificate, which was it was a dollar bill, a one dollar bill that used to be able to be exchanged for a silver coin or equivalent in silver. We don't have that kind of economy anymore. We have fiat con- economy. Our money's fake. It's only worth something because the government says it is. So anyway, I got that in the mail. Well, I brought it to the dinner table with me. And we had a really fun conversation. You get to pass it around. It's tangible. It looks different. It's cool. It's money. And I'm like, what's different about this? And then we were able to talk about, hey, this is what it was. You used to be able to take this. It was like a check from the government saying, here, this is worth $1 in silver. Well, then what's the problem? They started printing too many of these. And so anyway, we have all this fun economics discussion. Well, then my son, I, I heard later from my wife that he was reading a book on economics and he starts mumbling about fiat money and thinking, I, you know, this is a 12-year-old who's saying, oh, I, you know, I think I should be investing in gold. I mean, I, you know, these are the sorts of things that don't set too low of expectations because your 12-year-old can have really interesting thoughts about economics long before you think that they're ready for something as heavy as that. I mean, when you say earlier, like, one of the things to teach your children to be wise, you have to be wise, and you're saying not set the bar too low— you read through the Bible, your children will ask you questions that force you to do. Or even better, do what I would advocate doing what I did, which is you force your children to ask questions. Right. You make them write. I mean, that, that was, we kind of adopted, I think that's you guys, is, you have a certain reading every day, and you have to write down questions from the reading, and then as you go through it, you deal with their questions that they ask, and you ask them the questions. And and I mean, and they ask some really good questions, and you're, you'll, be, you'll be scrambling to find answers to to teach you know one of the things we we did a thing on homeschooling and one of the principles of homeschooling is is you just have to stay ahead of your children Mm -hmm. and there's times where that requires some real scrambling (laughs) depending on (laughs) depending on what you on your preparation in certain issues i mean because they they will push you to deal well like josh was saying i mean you ask the question of should they be on the indians land Depending on the age of your children, that could be a really long and complex discussion. It might end up requiring your children to go and do research to find <laughs> out. It doesn't always have to be you doing exactly. Research. You get to do your research and it, project is now to research the right, Why don't you bring the information yeah. to me so I can? But I mean, those those can be really interesting things. And I I know you've talked about this before when you were trained to be a paramedic, right? You watch once, you do once, and then you teach once. Right. Was the standard practice, and you know. You learn a lot more by teaching yes. than just by doing, because all of a sudden, you know, like math is a good example where all of a sudden you've figured out how to do division and you can kind of do it. And then all of a sudden you have to explain it to your child. And all of a sudden now you actually understand how to do division. Right. <laughs> and those things, you know, that's that's very useful. And so God has set up the system so that as you teach your child, you'll actually understand things a lot better than if you didn't teach it to your child. And so you grow in wisdom. So God's even given you a leg up to stay ahead because you do have to stay ahead of them. But at the same time, the process of raising them up raises you up as well. Right. I mean, one of the other things that really should be highlighted, as you mentioned, like not setting, 
you have to stop doing foolish things. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very guilty of this. And I mean, and it's one of these things where I've, I mean, we live in a society that is full of entertainment and that loves the idea of keep, you know, there are especially more, podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are more adults today in their forties and fifties who play video games. I mean, then, then you would, then you would believe they grew up, you know, they grew up in the generation I grew up in the Nintendo generation, the you know, the edge of the Atari generation and games have been a part of their life. And there's this part of it where, you know, you grew up seeing movies and there are times where I feel like with my children, I'm both like, I'm, I'm like the drug dealer and the police officer at the same time. There's this thing from my childhood that I want to show them, but I don't want them to love it, but I want them to see it, but I don't want them to like it too much. And I remember how much I liked it, and I really want them to see it because it was great, but I don't want them to be too tempted by it. And it's this, and there's just this part of it where wisdom is recognizing that you shouldn't give them these things, that these things are, they are not good for them. They are foolishness. And, and you look and they at, detract from real good, right? I mean, sitting there and watching that video game or playing that video game where in the end you win. What you've got them to do is to be satisfied with things that are, that are, empty that are meaningless that fade away because the new game comes out and you forget that you were on level 512 of the the previous game right as opposed to when you're learning real wisdom in the world it really has an impact in the world i mean even as simple things as you know we the the church has people that go and and you know go to the abortion clinic and hold signs out there and and proclaim the gospel to people coming in and how they should murder their children. And you know, the children that go out there, they may not be saying anything, but they still have moved forward in wisdom compared to somebody sitting and playing a video game. And when you're active about using your time with wisdom, then it's a lot easier to teach them to use their time with wisdom. And there's a part of it where you set up a horrible you know, one of the things is, is you want to teach your children to do difficult things. You want to teach them to do real things. And the truth is, is real things are hard. And when you give them the, they really are like drugs for children. Because in the end, a lot of people take drugs to just escape and avoid the difficulties of life. And when you've told your children, instead of, there is this other thing you could be doing. They're spending all their time thinking, I want to be doing this other thing. And so then you ask them to go and do this difficult thing to actually learn from the world. And you yourself have told them, we could be doing this fun thing instead. And it's just, it's incredibly destructive. I mean, I tell my kids, like when you look at like, you look at like you read Little House on the Prairie and like Farmer Boy and some of these things, and you look at some of the things they did, but they didn't have their alternative, you know, I mean, their alternatives were pretty minimal. And sometimes it was... Sometimes they could play for, with the top. You know? Right. I mean, there was one part where they're like playing with a pig bladder. They blow it up and they're bouncing a pig bladder around and that was their toy. And it's like, that's not going to be that enticing. <laughs> Whereas if you tell somebody, I've bought this several thousand dollar multimedia entertainment system that's designed to give you multiple levels of enjoyment and goggles right feel like it's in 3d or we can go outside and weed the garden which one are you going to pick <laughs> and the truth is is you'll find yourself being lured away by these things which is why you've given to them in the first place and so i mean i, I mean i i need to repent of some of this in my life i mean there, i mean just genuinely i've tempted my children with some of these things and i knew better so i mean one of the things that i think both of you are, are pointing towards is that as you think about your children, as you think about what you want your children to be, it's very easy for us to think about our children as something that's just a cost to us, as opposed to the sort of thing that eventually, after you put in and you pour into them, that you start getting returns. And the Bible talks about a a firstborn son as the beginning of, of your strength, but the implication is that the more children that you have or you know the the more you invest in your children the that you should be getting some kind of a return from them that you should actually feel that the work that I was doing like Joshua was saying at the very beginning like that gold mine that I dug down 100 feet and then I went 110 feet and I struck gold you know eventually with your children you're going to strike gold there I think it's worth mentioning before we get too far into this that we kind of talked about some similar stuff 
in a little while back in an episode I think it was called Kids Should Work, something along those lines. Um, and uh, so, you know, if, if, if thinking about how to make, how families are designed to be kind of God's engines of productivity and taking dominion and how the role that children play in that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about here, but we kind of spent a whole, well, we did, we spent a whole hour on that. <laughs> so we're not going to put the whole hour in here. But, and I want to approach it from somewhat of a different perspective, which is last time we talked about how you should train your children to be that. But part of it is if you don't have any place you're going, how can they be how add to your strength? You? <laughs> right. I mean, if you're not trying to accomplish anything, then giving you more strength. I mean, the guy who has a lot of strength because he lifts weights and never accomplishes anything. And, you know, now all of a sudden, instead of lifting 150 pounds, he can lift 200 pounds or whatever. That doesn't mean anything. If all you're doing is going, you know, I spend all my time watching video or movies, then all of a sudden he's the beginning of your strength. You can watch more movies with him. He'll encourage you to watch another movie. And so it should be a real, as we think of our children as, as the beginning of our strength, we should really be saying, what are we doing? What makes it useful for us to have more strength? Because it is God's plan for them to be the beginning of our strength. But if you're not doing anything, if you have no, if you're not thinking about what do I, how do I make my life productive, then your children aren't going to help you with that. And you're going to consider them to be a curse because all they're doing is sapping the strength that you have because you can't be as idle. So Joshua mentioned that we had done a podcast, an episode previously on kitchen work. We also did one on how ministry should be done. Like, you know, there's the issue of parachurch organizations and all these things and how we talked about how the church should be the center of ministry. And sh- and there's a part of it where families make up churches. And so some of what you're talking about, and I think we talked about a decent bit of it in there, is, you know, when you ask what are you doing, I mean, there's a part of it where we should seek to have industry for the gospel. We should mm-hmm. seek to fulfill needs in the church, and our children become part of that, whether they're believers or not, that there are there are skills that it would be useful for them to develop and for us to develop in them that we could use to further the ministry. And there's this part of it where it it changes the way you view your children. I mean, and you know, one of the things that's, you know, we have 10 kids and there's a there's a comedian who says, you know, if you want to know what it's like to have like five kids, he goes, imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. You know, and and that's and there's this part of it where there's a point in having kids where you feel like you're drowning because Mm-hmm. You're having kids. There's a lot of work to do, and it's really easy to just keep going. It's easier for me. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. And there's a point where you can't do it all yourself. And so there's a practicality that forces you to view your children in a certain way. But what you're really arguing for is more than that. It's not just train your ch- teach your children so you survive. It's right. It's look at scripture and say, where is God having me go? that I as a person am have a vision for how I can serve God and that turns into work and that turns into things you can have your children do and how you can make your family be structured to do those things. Right. I mean we're we're new creatures in Jesus Christ created for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. When we think of salvation, we shouldn't just think salvation is so that we can make it to the end. That's not what Jesus Christ did when he made a new creature. He did it so that we could do work, so that we could accomplish things. And so if you have that understanding, if you have that, that biblical view of what salvation is, then all of a sudden when you go, children are the beginning of your strength, you go, I can do more good works now that God has given me these children so that I can accomplish more good works that he created me to do. And so then all of a sudden when you think of those children and you think how training them to be wise and you think about driving the foolishness out of their heart and you think of all these things, it becomes very gospel-related because it's now I can further the gospel more than I could have without those children. And so if you're thinking of it that way and you're training your children that way, how could you not consider them to be a blessing? And, I, I mean, this goes back to the very earliest passages that we talked about when God says to Adam, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. I mean, he's giving him, here's everything you're supposed to be doing. And we can divide out the different commands, but they're all just shoved at Adam as you have to do all of this stuff in order to do any of it. You can't fill the earth and subdue it if you're not being fruitful and multiplying. 
And then Noah comes along after the flood, and Noah gets exactly the same command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And, you know, and there's, there's an, with all that, there is a direction that all of mankind is supposed to be fulfilling. And then with the church, it's just, it's the same command, but it's more specific. How we fill the earth, how we subdue the earth, you know, what those particular terms mean for a Christian has some, some special definitions. And as we think about that, I mean, that is the picture, right? Because Noah had three sons and, you know, and their wives, and they have children, and that's what the earth fills with. And so those children were his strength. And it's very easy for us to, even when we think of the mission that we have on earth that God has given us, the work that he's given us to do, we can think of them coming alongside and helping us with that work, and that's a valid way to look at it. But there's more to it than that. They're the beginning of our strength. It's how we affect the next generation, too, and not just this generation, and how we affect the world after we're dead. We can, we can project strength far further than our own lifetime through our children. And if you don't train them in the way they should go, you're not going to. All you're going to do is create more problems. But you can have a, an effect on this society, even with unbelieving children. You can have an effect on the society 30 years from now, 50 years from now depending on how you train your children. And it, can, it is the beginning of your strength so that your strength multiplies beyond your lifetime. So, I mean, one of the quotes Mark Deaver had was, you know, that most young men overestimate how much can be accomplished in a short period of time, and they underestimate how much can be accomplished over a long period of time. And I think one of the things that's just, it's really easy to do is to go, when am I going to see results from this? And, and it does take time. And what, what you'll be amazed by is, if you're faithful, and God is always faithful if we actually follow him. But I mean, but if you're faithful in these things, you'll be amazed all of a sudden there will be strength there that you didn't know you had. I mean, and it's it's pretty astounding when it happens. I mean, it, it genuinely like surprises you because what happens is is strength builds up over time, but it kind of manifests itself in state in, in like in chunks almost. It's not like Right. Uh, someone goes from... Or your eyes open up to it in chunks, even if it didn't manifest. Right. I mean, the exactly. way right. you see it, it's kind of an epiphany when you see it. Right. I mean, and, and so it's like you'll have somebody go from not being able to deal with this one thing at all to all of a sudden being able to handle and actually help. And your your capacity increases in jumps when it happens. And so it's just it's just really important to understand that this is how God does things. And I mean, Scripture talks about sowing and reaping and all these things. And it's it's exactly like that. And we're in a culture where people want to put off children longer and longer and longer, right? So that they can have that time together when they're in, where it's, what was your term? Butterfly and... <laughs> Rainbows and butterflies. Rainbows and butterflies. What they should be going is, if we have children sooner, then we'll be able to use their strength more and be able to do more and accomplish more. And, you know, people want to put off children because they go, oh, we just want to have our fun time as opposed to going, we should have children now because we're putting off our productive time when we put off our children. Because it's good to bear the yoke when you're, you're young. young. I mean, I mean, I mean, I right. genuinely, there are times where, I mean, I was not ready to get married when I was 20. And part of the reason I wasn't ready to get married when I was 20 is because I wasn't trying to get married when I was 20. I mean, there's a part of it where, I mean, you know, it's kind of like, how mm -hmm. do you get ready to do something is you seriously start to do it. You seriously move toward it. But I mean, there's times where if, I'm 46 now, and we just had a baby. <laughs> and, you know, Joshua had his first kid at, was it 20, 21? 21. 21. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when you're 21, you, you levitate out of bed in the morning. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it's, you, don't have, you don't have to wake up. It's just, you know, all of a sudden you're awake and you're, I mean, you know, and. You I, don't do that now. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? And so, I mean, it's just, there's, I can, I can feel a real difference in myself at 46 having a newborn and if I was to subtract 10 years off my life there's a real blessing there one of the groups <laughs> of people that we've been talking about throughout most of this this podcast is people who have children and yet don't really know what to do with them but then there's that other group of people who just looks into the future they don't have children and they put off marriage or they put off childbearing after marriage intentionally because they don't see children as being a blessing, or at least they might say children are a blessing, but it's a blessing they want to put off because they've got other things that they want to do, and most of the time they're selfish things, 
and they may come up with good justifications for them or what they they say are good justifications are oh, we're going to spend this time working for the church but they don't right yeah we, and, we and, show up an half hour early on sunday morning and that's our working for the church there's there's a lot more you know if you that compare that to the work of having a if child you and it's really, not comparable. if you really want to sacrifice for the church i mean really sacrifice for the church then have children and raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Yeah, or, or do what like, it says in 1 Corinthians 7, which is you don't get married so you can dedicate all your time to the Lord, not so you can show up a half an hour earlier, not so that you can have times of, of you know, pleasure with your wife, but don't get married. Serve the church if you want to do that. If you want to get married, the answer is you should have children. You should expect that God will give you children. You should right. not, and you God should not prevent not, yourself but, from having yes. children. I mean, and God may have it so that you don't have children, but your your hope and your expectation should be that God will give you children. He typically does if you don't cut off the seed, and that that's the beginning of your strength, and it's a blessing. What we're saying is, is take take Joshua's 12, Jonathan's twelve year old's advice and invest in gold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I mean, and live in gold, <laughs> right? I mean, there really is a. I mean, there genuinely is a part of it where. People and you know when they're young they're thinking of what they what can they invest in, and the church hasn't told them, hey, of these physical things that can be invested in, here's something that's just been totally overlooked. Here's been something that no one has described. Invest in, invest in your future by building a family and doing what God has called you to do. That really is gold. And that really is long-term prosperity. That's long-term. I mean, it's good for the church. It's good for the family. It's good for the society. And let's be serious. The ones that will have influence are the ones that are taught to be wise earlier. I mean, I, you know, my son started working when he was 10. And I was kind of saying that it's not just now. It's also in the next generation. And that's one of the promises of children from Psalm 127. Verses 3 through 5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. This is how you affect the society. This is how you... You know, being in the gate is the place where the elders sit. It's where the place that the people who are making decisions and people are going to for justice. This is where you get your children to be when you're being direct about it, when you're seeing them as a reward, when you're seeing them as somebody that's supposed to be sent out and not just, you know, they can do whatever they want. The reality is people's tastes, their desires, there's a lot of things that is driven by how they were trained. And we can see this, right? You look and somebody who grew up in the South likes grit. Somebody who grew up in, in Australia likes Vegemite. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we shouldn't think that in a lot of tastes that isn't true and not just food. But it's true that, that a child is very likely to like the same food as his parents like. And what you're training them to do, you are sending them in a direction, and hopefully it's for more than just food. <laughs> and God is saying there's real happiness here, right? Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Right. This is not that they're, they're these broken arrows that can't shoot. These are when you've done the work, you've trained the children so that you can actually send them out and have a real impact on the culture that you're in. And this is this is the true joy that's a lot better than the joy of playing a video game and getting to level 513. I think we were at 512 before, so we'll go up to 513. Instead, this is where there's lasting joy and this is where you can be like you know joseph where you're bouncing your your great great grandchildren on your knee and this is joy and it's peace and it's you can look at it and say i've had a real impact on the world and even you look you look at this passage and when you when you look at the details of it you see that children are not always a blessing that is readily apparent how they're a blessing in, in all ways like if you have a quiver of arrows well that might not be that great of a blessing but if you're in the battle and you need arrows the arrows are a great blessing and you can do a lot with arrows and you know maybe you know arrows get broken and and it's not all it's not all positive with with arrows this is a blessing and a reward that's being given that also requires work and requires sacrifice and requires being deliberate, right? Because an arrow is only useful if it's shot at a target that's meaningful to hit. Otherwise, it's useless. 
And so either you're raising your children to be wise, to be able to be sent out with the intention to send them someplace to have an effect because it's a target to be hit, or does it really matter? If you think that your children are really there in order for you to satisfy some idea about what your good life is, you know, if you think that your children are there for you in that sense, then you're going to be sorely disappointed and it's going to be really hard on you and you're going to see your children as a, a curse and not a blessing. But if you look at your children as something that is that that comes from you but is sent out from you, then there's the opportunity to say, and, and, and with that idea is also where am I going? What am I pointing towards? Then there's the chance to say, okay, this is what God's doing with these children that he's given me. One of the reasons that I think that's bubbling back of why the church isn't raising the children is because eschatology does play into this. If you have the view from Daniel 2 that the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is supposed to destroy all the kingdoms of the world, then your enemies sitting in the gate, or your children sitting in the gate with the enemies, that means something different than everything's supposed to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and there's no hope. You're going to send your children differently. So the way you view what God's doing in the world has a real effect that bubbles back to training your children. If you think it's just, we're just supposed to sit here and hope, will Jesus Christ come today? I pray that Jesus Christ comes today. If that's your view, rather than saying, God has told us to be good stewards until he comes, so how do we be a good steward? You know, those are two very different views, and it brings back to how you train your children. Because if you have a view that the church is supposed to fill the earth, then all of a sudden that's very different than everything's going to get worse and worse. And how you'll think of your children for the next generation changes completely. And the work of a lifetime to send those children out changes completely. If you think there's no hope for them, and by the way, Jesus is almost certainly going to return now. Israel's established as a nation, so we should just quit now. That's going to change how you train your children. I mean, the word hope there is really important because God gives commands to Adam and Noah, fill the earth and subdue it. And then there's the promise that he's given through Daniel that Jesus Christ will crush the nations and the kingdom of God will grow into a mountain that fills the whole earth. So what God told Adam and Noah to do, Jesus makes possible. And right, and it will be successful. And so Christians have a duty to see themselves and their children that God gives them as part of that plan. And it's part of the means that God has given to do that, which really changes the way that you raise your children. And hopefully it's clear, I mean, as we've been talking about this, it doesn't mean we believe every single child of a person who's a believer becomes a Christian. It doesn't guarantee anything about their specific salvation. But I mean, like you're talking about cultures, cultures can be sanctified by a Christian influence. And so there are people who did, some of the people who we look back and say they were great founding fathers and they did what we think of today as great things for the faith, some of them weren't believers. Right. And But they were influenced, they were brought up in this way of thinking, they were brought up and they were, and they were aimed at the world and they still accomplished things in the world that, was, that God used to glorify himself. And so I think there's just this part of it where this shouldn't just be limited to thinking about or constrained to be thought about as only children that get saved and that there's some guarantee of, we're not saying any of those things, but we are saying you should think of your children in this way. Right, and I would argue that you, you know, and this is one of the real problems that you have with these Christian, you know, writers that want to look at history with, you know, David Barton-esque. Yeah, that they want to look at it and say, this person was a Christian, this was, because then all of a sudden they say, what role is there for my unbelieving child? And the answer is, there were a lot of people that had a Christian worldview, right? I mean, you know, Benjamin Franklin's called a secular Puritan because in so many ways he had the Puritan understanding of practical theology, even as an unbeliever. Right. And so he made huge strides and helped a lot of people, and they saved a lot of lives through the through – the, uh, Lightning fire, rods. Well, lightning rods would be an example, or the fire departments that he started. I mean, he did a lot of things that had huge impact on the society. And he was an unbeliever, but he was an unbeliever trained to think like a Christian. And so don't think that just because your child may or may not be saved that you can't 
project strength into the next generation. You can, even with unbelieving children. I mean, that's kind of, you have the category of Christian, Christian scientists, and then you have the category of the sons of Christians who became scientists, and they both did quite a, quite a bit. So I just want to close with, with this verse, Deuteronomy 7.14. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. God says children are a blessing. And when you're faithful, and the context of this is if Israel was faithful, this is how God would bless them. And if we're faithful, God will make our children a blessing that will affect the world around us. And so many people want to put off that blessing or choose some other blessing that they see instead of the blessing that does affect not just our generation but the generation to come is not just about our strength, but about magnifying our strengths so that we'll have more of an impact in the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should recognize children can be a blessing if we obey God. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.